Hello and welcome to the ISBA BursaCast podcast. This episode is a Friday focus episode, which means we'll be speaking to a specialist from the sector about a certain topic. And today that topic is going to be holiday pay. Holiday pay has been in Bursa's thoughts for a little while now due to the Harper versus Brazil case that shed light and changed law over the last couple of years. And most recently, we've had this Agnew case that's come up in Northern Ireland with the police force. So lots and lots of updates happening and things to be aware of. So we thought to make sense of it all, why not just get someone who really knows what they're talking about to come and tell us about it? To that end, we'll be joined by Abigail Trencher, who is a partner at Burkitt's heading up the employment team. So rather than me rabbiting on, let's welcome Abigail onto the show and discuss everything around holiday pay. Abigail, thank you so much for coming on the Bursacast, your first appearance on the uh, on the show. Yes, it is. And thank you very much for having me. We are so excited to have you. Um, today is a day to talk about holiday pay, as it's been in the ether for Bursas for a long time with Harper versus Brazil kind of rearing its head almost, I suppose, years ago now, really. Um, and it's come into focus again recently with the Agnew case. But I suppose you're the expert here, not me. What's the situation uh, with holiday pay and why has it come into sort of the light again? Well, unfortunately, there's lots of issues in respect of holiday pay that have yet to be resolved. And I'm not sure this latest case of Agnew helps very much or certainly helps the employer who is dealing with employment and, and holiday pay issues. So it just it adds just another complexity and another issue that does need to be addressed, hopefully, by new legislative change in the near future. Sure. And so the, the issue here is that we're seeing, in this case, we'll, we'll try and make it as specific as we can to independent school bursars. The worry is that holiday pay has been incorrectly sort of calculated. And there's a chance that employees can perhaps claim for holiday pay up to, I mean, in some cases, i.e. Northern Ireland, there's not a cap on how far back you can go whereas in the great britain there is or in the england there is because it's a two-year cap isn't it yes that's correct so in england and wales thankfully we have a provision that the government implemented immediately as this really started to become an issue there's a backstop there's a two-year backstop which means you can claim for unpaid holiday pay in respect of a series of deductions but can only go back to two years and that does not apply to Northern Ireland, which is why the value of the Agnew case was, was so high. It was, it was valued at £30 million, and it applied to 3,380 police officers and 364 civilians. But because there wasn't this backstop, it was a series of deductions for as long as, as they're deemed to have, have, have um, applied. So although that can't really apply to our versus here what is significant is this three-month gap that they looked at yes what's the situation so, here so we're grateful for the two-year backstop in england and wales so that's fortunate but essentially you could still have claims for a series of deductions going back two years and that's still a significant sum of money in some cases and what arose during the evolution of holiday paces if we can say that in the bear scotland case where the EAT held that if there was a break of more than three months in a series of deductions, then that should break the series of deductions. And the reasoning for that was 
when a series of deductions comes to an end, you have three months to bring your claim. And therefore, it, should, it would be unfair if the same three-month principle didn't apply through a series of deductions. However, that started to be sort of chinks started to rise in that reasoning in the case of Pimlico, Scotland, where the Court of Appeal took issue with it. And Agnew, the Supreme Court here, has held that there is no such principle. So essentially, a series of deductions falls to be found as a, a question of fact by the court who is determining the issue as to whether there is a continuation. And it will not necessarily be stopped where there is a three-month break between a, a, a deductions in that series. So that does mean that it's going to be now very difficult to argue that a series of deductions hasn't continued back to that backstop. Mm. So, I mean, w- when you say deductions for someone like me, what does that mean? So, uh, deductions are, are in respect to the holiday pay that is owed to the individual. So, if a teacher, worker working in an education environment has not been paid the correct holiday pay, then the shortfall in what they should have received and what they have received will be a, a deduction. And that, se- that will be a, a series of deductions all the time that the holiday calculation is not being correctly calculated and they haven't received their full pay. And where that arises more, most often is where people work overtime and, and have or irregular hours. So they are not earning... So, so there's an uplift because what we know from the evolution of um, holiday pay cases is that you always have to increase someone's holiday pay. It cannot be just based on their basic pay, but it should be the average pay they've received over a period of time. So if we see, you have teachers earning allowances, for example, in respect of if they, if they do sports, they do additional duties, and that all needs to be factored into their holiday pay as a, a part of their average. So that makes sense of deductions in terms of its the pay that they're going to receive back. And I mean, why why has it gone wrong in the first place to really wind it back? Okay, to, to wind it back right to the beginning of the evolution of holiday pay cases. So we've had cases emerge based on European case law, which decided that instead of just basic pay, an individual should be entitled to the normal remuneration they receive whilst they're on holiday. Otherwise, it disincentivizes the person to go on holiday if they're going to get a big drop in pay. So a case in point, for example, with these police officers who were being paid based on a 39-hour week when, in fact, they were working 60 hours a week routinely. And therefore, that's a massive drop in pay. So their holiday pay was much less than the pay they would otherwise have earned when they were working and working overtime. And through subsequent case law, we now know that in order to look at someone's normal remuneration, you look at the overtime that they contractually have to do or they do as a matter of um, certainty. So there's a consistent approach that they will be offered overtime and they will do it. And also other allowances such as commission, flight allowances if you're a pilot, and allowances that are sometimes being paid in the education environment. They'll all go towards your normal remuneration. And so for calculation of holiday pay, you're entitled to your normal remuneration. So where this case is relevant is the series of deductions will be the difference between what they were being paid or had been paid in respect of any holiday and 
the actual uplift they should have been receiving in respect of the average of the additional allowance or the overtime or the um, commission in, in some industries that they, they should have been receiving in, in respect to their holiday pay. Okay. And does the independent sector have um, a kind of a track record of not getting the holiday pay right? Or is it because regulations have changed and they're just going to be kept up with? I think the independent sector has has been caught like a lot of sectors um, in that, you know, it, it's because this is an evolution of case law, there will always be employees that have been incorrectly paid. And, and that's the same across across the board. Now, independent schools do not have a lot of employees who are receiving commission or overtime or, or other allowances. That's why the, the Brazil and Harper Trust case was so relevant to the independent school sector and the education sector generally, because that's the, the education sector relies a lot on peripatetic workers who will work only in term time and other employees and workers who only work term time. And that's why the Harper Trust was an issue. And so with the Harper Trust, that created effectively a windfall for part-year workers, where part-year workers are entitled to more holiday than um, employees that work across 52 weeks and that's because they're entitled to 5.6 weeks but for the calculation of their holiday pay you only look at the weeks that they work so if they only work 34 weeks of the year you only calculate you only base their, their holiday pay on on what they've earned in that 34 week period that's provided the part year worker hours vary with the work that they do during that, say, 34-week period, the three terms, and um, they are only receiving payment during that 34 weeks. So it's very specific workers that are caught by the Brazil and Harper Trust case, part-year workers. But as a result of that, those part-year workers could potentially have now claims for unpaid holiday pay. And of course, now we know that there's not a break in in their series of deductions, they are entitled to go back two years. Mm. So what should, I mean, this is a case where, you know, if, if people are due their money, then they should get it. Absolutely. So I mean, what should independent schools be doing to kind of, what's the best course of action in this situation? Yes. It's, well, it's, it's a great shame that the government hasn't quite yet got round to changing the law and publishing um, legislative change because it is important because on the result as on the back of the Harper Trust case the government put forward a proposal by way of consultation that they were going to change um, the law um, and that that consultation came to an end on the 7th of March sorry 9th of March and then subsequently they put out a new consultation with regards to proposals to change retained EU legislation involved with working time regulations, which again would have been quite helpful to clarify the issues we now have with holiday pay. They haven't done that yet. So we're left in this lurch where we think that the government will change um, the, the provisions, particularly in respect to the reference period and how you how you the periods of time for which you calculate holiday pay for part-year workers because under the consultation that came to an end on the 9th of March the proposal was that for part-year workers they would just get a proportion of the average pay over that 12-month 
period. So you would look at the whole entire 12 month period and it would be proportionate they worked. Whereas now you don't look at the 12 month period, you only look at the 34 or 36 weeks that a part year worker, assuming that they work to just term times, will work. So in the intermean time, what independent schools should do is they should look at all their contracts for all of their potential part-year workers to make sure that they have identified who potentially will fall into a part-year workers because it's easy to get that wrong. There are very specific contracts that will fall within the part-year bracket. They need to identify those and then they need to look at what holiday pay they've been paid and what other contractual arrangements you might be able to come to with those individuals that might change that so that they no longer receive the holiday windfall that part year workers get and that might be changing their contract so that they are only employed on a contract as and when you need them so for each term or alternatively you pay them across say 12 months of the year and you deal with any fluctuations in the hours that you need them by way of an overtime payment. And there's various modelling you can do, but generally that those two proposals are likely to be better than, than the additional holiday pay you'd otherwise have to pay if they remain part year workers until and unless the government obviously brings in legislative change. So is it up is it sort of the school's responsibility to chase up money that is owed to you know peripatetic workers or is it down to them to actually bring it up with the school um no there's no obligation on the school um to do so obviously the 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 problem is that they have this there is a period of time if it's a series of deductions and they haven't changed how they are paying holiday pay for part-year workers then unfortunately because of this this case that two years will keep moving and that the time for someone to bring a claim will continue because it'll be a continuing series of deductions so what they ought to be doing is 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 addressing it now by making the payments and then at least you're sort of crystallizing the date by which anyone has to bring a claim if you're not paying the full two years so in some instances they might just be paying they might be correcting the payment now without informing the individual but provided you have corrected the method of payment how you're paying them so that you're not continuing the incorrect payment then that should stop the clock running on a series of deductions because the the series of deductions should be broken when you actually do address the error in your calculation and and start correctly paying the holiday pay. And then, of course, the individual will have three months from that date to, to claim back any other holiday pay that they haven't received at the correct level. So bursars listening to this should right away go away and double check the contracts in place for these part-time workers and ensure that holiday pay is being done appropriately for fear of, you know, in, I don't know, just shy of two years time having a worker say by the way this is a mean incorrect can i please be paid two years worth of holiday pay yes they, they should be checking now that they are paying the holiday pay correctly and and then obviously that just stopped then the, the individual only has three months to bring a claim in respect of unpaid holiday pay sure and with the changes to or you know perhaps changes to government if labor do come in do you What's the kind of best and worst scenarios that might come out regarding holiday pay? Labour obviously have a tradition of being more employee friendly, albeit that actually 
that's that hasn't been necessarily the case for the last 10 years. I would say this government's been quite employee friendly. I think any government is going to want to clarify the situation with regards to holiday pay and working time because we're just seeing successive judgments changing the goalposts and that is very difficult for employers. So there does need to be change here to, to formally clarify the position. So I think any government would would find there's a need, whether or not they, they take a slightly employee-friendly approach. But but I think actually the, the proposals put forward by the government are not necessarily not not in favour of the employee. They're actually quite favourable, but they do provide certainty for everyone. Yeah, I suppose it's that certainty that the government has kind of been in, in a variety of areas has been promising and not delivering on and just keeps pushing these things back and back and back. But hopefully soon, not that there's a date published, but hopefully soon we'll have some answers and some concrete stuff that will mean that there's a, a simple standard across the board. I agree. Yes. Any day now, hopefully, fingers crossed. Superb. And then before we draw this to a close, is there anything else that you feel is particularly uh, key for bursas to understand around this topic? Or actions that should be taken? No, I, I think it is just a case of ensuring that you're you're aware of what holiday you've been paying, who your potential part year workers are, and that these have been addressed. And and then looking at all of your contractual provisions across the board and what holiday applies to which category of employees and workers. Okie dokie. Well, there we are. That's been a wonderful run through. Thank you so much. I'm sure we'll see maybe yourself, but certainly Charlotte at the upcoming HR conference. Yes, no, we're both speaking together on on the topic of transgender. So yes, it'll be an interesting debate and discussion. Absolutely. Another area where the government keeps postponing guidance. So hopefully Absolutely. we'll have something on that, but who knows. Anyway, we'll see you uh, on the 1st of November at BMA House in London for the HR conference. And till then, thank you very much uh, for enlightening us all regarding holiday pay. Thank you. And thank you very much to Abigail for coming on and taking the time to chat to us all through those details. And thank you to you for listening through to the end of this episode. As always, I would gently ask you to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to ensure you never miss an update and share this around with members of your team if you think they'll find it useful. That is all from us this week. Please do keep an eye out for next week's Versa Casts. And in the meantime, if you'd like to come on the show, say hello, suggest some topics, whatever it might be, please email podcast at the isba.org.uk. Leaving the only thing for me to do is to say, have a wonderful weekend and farewell. <laughs>